Thank the Lord. We want to uh, say, uh, I want to say on the behalf of the Prescott congregation how much we appreciate uh, all of you who come to this conference and uh, lent your goodwill, uh, your efforts, and uh, blessing to this conference. Uh, this has been one of the smoothest conferences that I can remember. God has wonderfully graced us with His presence and with His singular focus upon the calling that He's given to us tonight. I want to remind you that we need 60 men uh, tonight. Uh, if you uh, have to go to your room and change, that would be fine. But we need 60 men at least to stay. Uh, this all goes down is packed away tonight. I want to see hands again. I want you to lift them and hold them. I need 60 men that will stay, be a part of this, tear it down. God's looking down. You want, you want a blessing? You want uh, grace? You want favor? You want revival? You want money? You want a girlfriend to get married to? All right. The Lord bless you. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 13, Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. I believe it was uh, Newsweek magazine. Somebody gave me an article was there on a man named Norman Borlaug. This man was in Mexico. He's an agronomist. That's someone that works in agriculture to experiment and try to get better crops and methods and so on. And this man developed a wheat seed that is called dwarf wheat. He developed this and as he began to enhance the genetics, the ability that God had placed within that seed, the Bible says that God created and then said, bring forth the seed or fruit after its kind. This man began to improve and work with the genetic capabilities that God had placed within wheat. And as he did this, uh, this a number of years ago, this article said that this man is attributed because of that development of that seed of wheat, a type of wheat, for saving a billion people from starving to death around the world. That's phenomenal. And as I pondered upon that, I begin to think about the work of God, the principle of discipleship, and you and I tonight, sitting in this building, we have a seed of fruitfulness within us. Jesus said, I've chosen and I've ordained you. You go and bear fruit, much fruit, more fruit. God, just as he designed a seed of wheat, that if it could be developed into its full potential, could triple the harvest of a normal 
harvest of wheat. So God has placed within you and I a seed of fruitfulness. That seed of fruitfulness has to do with spiritual genetics. And as it has to do with spiritual genetics, there are certain principles that are involved. There are many people who do not understand the principle of discipleship. They do not understand that there are certain dynamics that are crucial to bring forth the full potential of fruitfulness that is in the human personality. They do not understand that as we embrace certain dynamics and certain principles, uh, bringing forth disciples that will bear fruit, and they bring forth disciples that will bear fruit, uh, that that potential was placed by God. If, as Norman Borlaug discovered the principles that would bring that focus and full potential, so you and I, if we will follow the principles of God, we're able to bring forth that same tremendous principle. If we do not, we will simply become a religious movement at the very worst, going through religious procedures at the very best, and at the worst, God will curse us. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13, follow with me. The people of God have been in Babylon as they have been in Babylon 70 years, they have lost a divine principle that God said was very, very important. Verse 23 of Nehemiah 13. In those days uh, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah but spoke according to the language of one of the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them, pulled out their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, you think we're a cult? This is the word of God. Saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons, for yourself, for your sons or yourself. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Jolada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore, I drove him from me. Remember them, O oh my God, because they've defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleanse them of everything pagan. I also assign them duties to the priests and the Levites, such uh, 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 to each to his service, and to bringing the wood after uh, offering and the first fruits uh, at appointed time. I want to talk to you about fellowship uh, genetics. First of all, consider with me for a moment the law of genetics. So as we read this, or something becomes uh, very, uh, very apparent. Uh, and uh, this uh, 
is beginning to uh, uh, touch on uh, uh, the Creator's laws. And these laws are that in everything that has life, God has given a genetic code, and it has genetic markers. Now, what we're dealing with in genetics is biochemical basis of heredity that determines the features and the traits of every living thing. And as it has to do with human beings, they call it spermatogenetics. And it is a singular, peculiar element in each of mankind. And it has to do with everything within us. And it has a code that is more specific and more accurate even than fingerprints. It produces traits in human personality. It has to do with eye color. It has to do with hair. It has to do with bone structure. It has to do with personality. It has to do with height. And so all of this is locked in to genetics. You can track a person's ancestry by this. You can track their personal identity to this. In recently, I believe it was last year, maybe the first of this year, there was a young man in one of the churches in Hawaii who had murdered a Japanese girl. They could not find her body. He had done away with the body. But through the sunglasses that were in his truck, that were her sunglasses, carried DNA on it. And this was part of the powerful evidence that convicted this young man of rape and murder. Now let's look for a moment at the principle because we're going to make a spiritual application. And when we're dealing with, uh, 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 with the spiritual application and uh, genetics, uh, the issue, of course, that we're dealing with here in the text is descendants. Look at verse 24. And the issue has to do with descendants. We want to make an application to spiritual descendants as we're moving through in discipleship. Ezra 9 verse 2 says, For they've taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and rulers have been foremost in this trespass. In the book of Malachi, chapter 2, and verse 15 says, But did not God make them one? Having a remnant of the Spirit, and why one? He seeks godly offspring, therefore take heed to your spirit. The Scripture spotlights the importance of this business of lineage and of family and of children. When Abraham is going to seek a wife for his son Isaac, he says to Elysia the servant, you do not take a wife for my son of the peoples of this land. You go up to Haran in present-day Turkey, and you get a wife for my son of the godly seed that is there that's dwelling in that land because the aim was holy seed. In the book of Genesis, chapter 28, when Isaac now is going to give instructions to his son Jacob for a wife, it says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. 
Arise and go to Paddan Aram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take uh, yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, uh, your mother's uh, brother. So here's a crucial principle, uh, and uh, there's specific directions that are given in the word we're going to get into in a little while, that the descendants are going to be locked into a lineage, and God is very concerned uh, that there's going to be a holy seed. This is a crucial issue for our fellowship tonight. There are genetic markers that are produced by ministry standards. You knew I was going to come to this, didn't you? Those who are in ministry, we require certain standards of their lives. We require them to make a commitment. As a matter of fact, we require them to sign their name that they're making a commitment. Said, isn't that legalism? Of course it is. When you got married, they were very concerned that you would sign your name and make a commitment. Is that legalism? Absolutely. Someone who, who won't sign their name is a scoundrel. And the young lady needs to run for her life. We have divorce and remarriage standards in our fellowship. If a man who is in our ministry divorces his wife, doesn't mean we kill him, we run him through a gauntlet, we punch his eyes out, but it means he's not going to be qualified because there's something crucial that I'm talking about tonight. These are genetic markers that have protected our fellowship, and it's very crucial, and it's very important, and I want to bring you to the issue that the issue is clean and unclean. It is holy, and it is unholy and God is very concerned about this. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 14 and verse 2, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So God is concerned that his people have a spiritual lineage that is going to produce a certain spiritual quality, genetic markers, if you will, that is going to be clean or unclean, holy or unholy. They're going to have to have convictions. They're going to have to have commitment. And this is especially crucial to pastors and to leaders. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 20 and verse 26, the Bible says, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples uh, that you should be mine. In the New Testament, in the book of 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17, says, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will uh, re receive you. We produce tonight as ministers in any dimension or level uh, what we are, not what we say we are. Write that down in your Bible somewhere. Someday God will give you a revelation of what that means. 
We produce what we are. We reproduce what we are. Our reproducers will produce what they are, and you cannot uh, escape that uh, because uh, it is not what we say we are, it is what we are. That puts a genetic marker in a spiritual realm uh, upon those uh, that we touch. We have a man named Samson. The Bible says Samson was gifted, called. Uh, he was uh, uh, ordained to destiny before he was ever born. He's to be a judge and a deliverer for the people of God. God raised him up. And the Bible said that Samson, the Spirit of God, began to move him in the camp of Dan, began to uh, push him towards uh, and develop what that was. Uh, he's a powerful man. He has supernatural energy, supernatural strength. Uh, God wonderfully blesses him. Uh, but the Bible says uh, that one day Samson crossed a line. He's walking along the roadway. He's a Nazarite. He's a Nazarite. The prophet was said from his mother's womb, he's going to be separated unto God. Certain things he's to stay away from, certain things he's to have, uh, and certain things he's not to have. He's walking along the roadway one day. A lion leaps at him. Uh, he grabs him, the Bible says, like he was a little kid from the flock, splits him, throws him over, walks on down the road. It's wonderful to have God's power at work for you. Can you say amen? A little bit later, he's coming back that way, and there's a... A hive of bees have built uh, uh, in, that, uh, in that carcass, uh, and uh, there's a wonderful honeycomb in there. And honey is forbidden for a Nazarite, as is a dead body. There's no one around. Samson sees no harm in this. What's a little honey for someone who likes honey? He reaches in his hand, takes it. The Bible said he didn't tell his mother, never told his father, didn't tell anyone. There was no lightning that fell from, hev uh, fell from heaven, no laser fell, <clears throat> nothing. He walks on down, eating his honey. And uh, the Bible says he was headed toward honey. He crossed a line. No one saw that line. But something happened within Samson, and we next find him down in the whorehouses of Gaza. You see, there's something about separation. Say, well, as long as nobody sees me, everything's okay. I have news for you. The dimension is in here. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians seven fourteen, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but now are they holy? Now I'm not prepared this evening to say all that that means, but it means something. Can you say amen? Let's make a parallel here as we're examining that because we're looking tonight at spiritual genetics uh, and we're looking at fellowship uh, genetics uh, and this brings us now to the dynamics uh, of life. You and I will experience the vicissitudes of life. That means they're changing factors. Uh, we do not always control these. Here are the people that we've read the scripture. They've been in Babylon 70 years. 
as they've been in Babylon in captivity 70 years, uh, they begin to compromise uh, because nature has taken its course uh, and the hormones uh, have begun to kick in uh, and their sons and their daughters have relationships uh, with the lineage uh, of the Babylonian people which are not uh, of the holy seed uh, and it's taken its toll uh, and compromise uh, against God's decree has begun to kick in. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 3, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son nor take their daughter uh, for your son. So here we have now a spiritual dimension uh, and what we're dealing with is a spiritual dimension called sin. Sin means to fall short uh, of the glory of God or God's purpose. It's a Greek word, hermartium. And even Solomon, who was uh, a tremendous uh, uh, work uh, that God wrought in Solomon, even Solomon, uh, apart from the great accomplishments uh, that he'd accomplished, is mentioned in this text, uh, even he failed uh, to keep the word of God uh, in this place. Curses tonight are transmitted uh, by genetics. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 23, verse 3, 2, says that an illegitimate child will not enter the congregation of the Lord until the 10th generation. What is being transmitted then by genetics is a spiritual dimension, and we need to bring to the forefront the law of unintended consequences. There is something that's very interesting to me as I was reading on this. Uh, genetics uh, is a uh, branch of uh, biology, one author says, that deals with the heredity and the variations uh, of organisms. In the course of time, there's what's known as the genetic drift. This is a change of genes uh, and gene frequency uh, in small populations due to chance uh, preservation or extinction of particular genes. So what are we talking about? We're talking about there are factors in life uh, unseen that uh, are not calculated or not planned. These are the factors of unintended uh, consequences. And uh, genes, uh, often if there's a violation of God's genetic code, uh, genes cannot be controlled. They take their own course because of nature. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about uh, pit bulldogs. If you own a pit bulldog, you're insane. <laughs> pit bulldogs are not a, a, a true breed. Pit bulldogs were bred to kill bears. They were crossed. Very interesting. I don't have time to go into all the history. But these dogs do fine until something unexplainable transpires uh, through crossbreeding these pit bulldogs. Uh, something has been violated that God didn't intend to be violated. And in the process of time, over and over and over again, uh, these dogs go insane and will turn and kill their master or their household. In the, book, uh, in the month of July 2nd, pit, two pit, pit bulls tore three limbs 
from one man as they attacked this man, tore off two arms and a leg. On July the 16th, there's a seven-year-old girl in Sydney, Australia, that pit bulls attacked, and you, it goes on and on and on, and it's beyond me when an intelligent human being would own a pit bulldog. Say, listen, this is Joe. He's a nice doggy. He's re but you see, something's wrong with Joe. There's been a, a gene drift. And you never know when Joe might uh, begin to revert to this missing gene that's in there and turn and eat you alive. Now, there's a reason that I'm saying this. And the reason is in this scriptural image that I'm trying to draw. Because our goal tonight is to reproduce uh, disciples uh, that will reproduce what we are. Can you say amen? amen? I said to you that there are dynamics in discipleship that many people do not understand. They think it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you set an example. It doesn't matter what you speak. Uh, everything will come out all right. All you have to do is name him a disciple, lay your empty hands on his empty head, uh, and send him out, and everything's going to be fine. Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 24 says these words, And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one of the other people. So here it is. You know, this is why you get the odd reaction to people who have joined with you when you begin to talk about standards. Pastor Mitchell, we love what you're doing. We want to be a part of that. We want to bring this into our church. I want to turn my pastor on a No, no. You don't just suddenly pick up and the genes are in place. Here is the principle and it's playing out in Babylon, and as it's playing out, uh, Nehemiah, Ezra have pulled this thing out. They begin to face this. Here's the people of God. God has brought them back to them from the promised land, but the difficulty is there's a mixture. There is no separation, and the holy seed have been mixed with the unclean seed, and they've got a mess on their hands. Hosea says in Hosea 5, 7, they have begotten strange children. Or in other words, the fruit of their lives is defined and the fruit of their lives have been defiled. And as it's been defiled, there's a wrong relationship in the spirit realm and they're what the Bible calls strange children. Let me point out to you for a moment Many people mouth fellowship. I'm the fellowship. You know what the fellowship is? I love this fellowship. Ooh, there's no fellowship like this fellowship. What are you talking about? Do you mean those genes are in you or are you simply an opportunist? 
We have produced a generation that has produced a generation of disciples that can't reproduce disciples. It's very plain. The reason is right here in the text that we have. You ever seen a mule? You know what a mule is? A mule is an interesting creature. A mule is a cross between a donkey and a horse. I was down in uh, Yellville uh, near Bustleton in a blacksmith shop, and I saw a little, little sign that stuck with me, and if I, if I can quote it correctly, it says, A donkey is a creature with two legs behind, and two it has before. We walk behind before we find what the two behind before. <laughs> now, for those of you who were raised in the city, you have not the slightest clue what I'm talking about. But uh, understand uh, that don't ever walk behind a donkey. There's something in them. And you can cross a donkey and a horse. And as you cross the donkey and the horse, uh, you will get a creature that looks uh, pretty much like a horse, but it's not a horse. And uh, not only does it, uh, uh, is it not a horse, but it has uh, some genes from the donkey. That's why the phrase stubborn as a mule come from. But the worst part of this is uh, they are sterile. They cannot reproduce themselves. You ever wonder why that jackass that you thought was a disciple? <laughs> Maybe the genes have gotten mixed up in there. You thought you were going to produce a wonderful creature. He looks pretty good, but he won't listen to a word you say. Still with me tonight? See, the church world practices something they call cross-pollinization. And this might work fine in agriculture, but I want to tell you it's deadly in the kingdom of God. Ooh, did I feel that go out. Amen. God doesn't practice cross-pollinization. He practices separation. In the Bible, in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13, verse 29, remember them, O my God, because they've defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Listen to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 23. Interesting woman there, generations and hundreds of years after Jezebel, who's the wife of Ahab. And the Bible says these words by the prophet of Jesus Christ, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I'll give to each one of you according to your works. So here, commentators say, this is the pastor's wife. She is in the church, and as she's in the church, she has control of the church. And as she has taken control of the church, uh, something has happened because a spiritual gene has been released. 
And that spiritual gene is an unclean spirit, and that unclean spirit cannot produce a holy seed. And God says, not only will I not bless it, I'll kill them. Let me point out to you for a moment the godly cure. There's only one cure for this. There's a fatal issue that is involved here. How many of you know that AIDS has become the, uh, the uh, uh, major problem of our generation? AIDS is caused, among other diseases that are carried, AIDS is transmitted by sperm. We're dealing again with seed. We're back to seed and genetics. Some seed from a past sin has become infected, and now because of changing the natural use of the human body, there's a curse has come, and that curse is AIDS, and I have no doubt that the curse of AIDS comes from God. I don't like that, Pastor. I don't care if you don't like it. So what we're dealing with then is the clean and the unclean. We're dealing with spiritual genetics, and we're down to the issue now of what's going to count in life. And one of the illustrations that are very prominent comes from the Promise Keepers movement. They did a survey of Promise Keepers. These are men they are going to rise up. They're going to take the world. They're going to set their homes in order. They're going to be real men. They did a survey, and the prior week when the survey was done, 63% of the Promise Keepers men had watched pornography. You're not going to take anything. Because there is a spiritual genetic that is at work. It may not be visible, but I want to tell you, when you have no standards in entertainment, uh, there's a deadly spiritual uncleanness uh, that is released. This brings me to a reality check. What we see secure is in this text and in these books is both Nehemiah Ezra, and that cure is repentance and confession or judgment. Listen to Nehemiah 13, verse 22. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates. How many of you know that pastors are gatekeepers? That's your calling. John writes, or Paul writes rather, in Galatians. He writes to the Galatian church and he says these strange words, My little children, I agonize, I labor until Christ be formed in you again. What is he talking about? These people are in church. What he's talking about, uh, he says, your actions prove that you're not the product of my DNA. And I'm laboring that God will form Jesus Christ in you again. That holy seed shall be restored. If you're going to accomplish this, the gene pool is going to have to be cleaned up. I want to talk to you for a minute about pornography. 
Many people are stupid about pornography. They think that pornography began uh, when uh, 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 Heflin came along. Hugh Hefler, Hefner, rather. They think that's when pornography began. If you get your dictionary out, you'll find out that pornography is an ancient uh, sin. Had nothing to do with movies, had nothing to do with what we claim as pornography today. But if you look at the Webster's Dictionary, it says pornography, uh, very simply, is the writings of harlots. Think about that for a moment. Let this sink in. It's the depiction of erotic behavior. And it can involve pictures or uh, writing intended to cause sexual excitement. The Australian Mercari's Dictionary says this. It is obscene literature, art, or pornographic picture designed to excite sexual desire. It is the writing of prostitutes. So let's think about that for a moment. I know you don't have to go to a video store. You don't have to go to television to see pornography. Sometimes it comes to church. This is a generation that is so ignorant of the reality of what I'm talking about uh, that uh, women today think if their nipples are covered, they have a blouse on. You didn't hear that, did you? I know that this is a leadership issue. Some of the past leaders we've had have set a wrong example. They've gone on video holidays. They have a movie addiction. Never could figure it out how it's different, not on a TV or not go to movies or not rent uh, videos. But then you go on a holiday and spend two, three days in a motel watching videos. Now that's different. That's a different kind of porno. That, that's, that's not porno in your house. That's porno in a motel room. That's different, right? Wrong. This is the issue that is destroying the Holy Seed. As I stand before you, I'm a man who gets calls constantly. It's never ending. There's a week goes by, someone self-destructs because of the issue that we're dealing with. There's a man in the Bible. His name is Manasseh. He's a very interesting man. One verse of Manasseh said in 1 Kings 14, 16, he will give Israel up uh, uh, because of the sins of Jeroboam uh, who sinned uh, and made Israel to sin. And it has to do uh, with Jeroboam uh, who is in the lineage of Manasseh. And this man Jeroboam, who's the son of Nebat, uh, it mentions him 28 times in the Bible, and in each place it says of some successor of his, uh, they sinned and followed his example. Pastor, what you are is what you're going to minister. You cannot escape it. Say, well, nobody sees me. Well, nobody may see you. God sees you. 
But it doesn't matter whether anybody sees you or not. Nobody saw Samson take the honey out of the carcass of the lion. But he crossed a line, and he crossed a line, a spiritual marker began to kick in that secured his destiny for destruction. This is a dynamic that was in Nehemiah's ministry. He brought safety and security to the people of God. I'll conclude in a moment. Nehemiah 6.15, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days, and he set the ministry in order. The gates they set in order, the walls they established, and in Nehemiah 13, verse 30, it says, Thus I cleanse them of everything pagan, I also assign duties to the priests and to the Levites, each to his service. And so he restored the dynamic that's going to produce a holy seed to serve God. You see, God's blessing and his presence is manifested when you and I get back to what we are. Can you say amen? We get back to what we are. We become a people who hear his voice. We are willing to repent, and we're willing to confess. And when we do that, we make room for God to move. You will never re reproduce what we are until you do what we do. This is an interesting little last verse there. It says uh, that they restored the wood offering. Uh, or in other words, uh, he restored. There is a holy dimension to the menial labor and the menial task uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and he's talking about ministers uh, that are willing to do whatever needs to be done. You know, we, we have a whole generation. This is the, cler the clergy class uh, that's been uh, produced. Uh, when you were first saved, uh, you were so filled with God. Uh, if they said to you, here's a toothbrush, go scrub the toilet. You said, praise God, that's what I'll do. Now they want you to uh, do some task where there's no name played on or there's no horns blowing. That's below me. I've gone into churches where the pastor uh, wouldn't lift his finger to pick up a piece of trash uh, or to set anything in order because that's for others to do. You know, exampleship is a powerful thing. And what's happened is uh, that there's a missing gene has been put into, uh, and uh, that missing gene is playing out horribly uh, in the generation that we are. This is a wonderful conference. Can you say amen? Wonderful conference. God has been at work. We cannot deny that God has been at work, but do not take that for granted. Because if God ceases to work, uh, then we just become like other men. Let's go back to Norman Borlaug. You are a pastor. You're a leader. You are a Bible study leader. You're a worker. You want to be that. What if tonight... Uh, out of the ministry that God is going to give, you would produce a seed that a million souls, a billion souls, could come to Jesus. Say, yeah, I, I'm into that. <laughs> yeah, well, you bet, you bet. 
What if God said to you tonight, if you'll stop doing what you're doing, you'll quit excusing sin because that's what we're talking about. If you'll quit to trying to excuse and make excuses for the uh, gene drift that you've contributed to, I'll give you two souls. Uh, two? I don't think so. I'll give you a billion. Oh, well, yeah. You, okay. <laughs> you know, he may be wanting to give you one disciple that will produce a billion souls. But you will never have even one unless you stick to the pattern, repent from the gene drift that you're producing and begin to let God do what He wants to do. I want every head bowed, every eye closed.